Welcome to the Heroes of Reality Podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Can we use immersive and emerging technologies to help heal and save the planet? Well, on this podcast, I'm talking to Giuliano Cogillo. He is the founder of Virtual Planet Technologies and a pioneer in science communications. His work and academic research are more motivated by urgent need to reduce climate change impacts by adopting equitable solutions through inclusive community engagement. Giuliano and his team are developing interactive virtual reality VR experiences to communicate climate change impact solutions to diverse audiences. So without any further delay, I'd like to welcome Giuliano. Hey, awesome, man. John, it's a pleasure to have you on. I'm excited to talk to someone who is uh, very much using this immersive technology for good. Um, and I'd like to kind of just first understand in your own words, could you please describe to people exactly what you do so the audience is aware of it? Great, thanks. Thanks for having me, Dylan. It's great to, to be here. Uh, yeah, so we've been uh, for a couple of years now developing this virtual reality experiences and immersive and during the pandemic, we expanded a little bit to 360 films. But the idea is that we go to community events. We always partner with cities or NGO or specific communities to show some of the issues that they're facing or they're likely to face uh, in lieu of climate change. We also put some solutions in the experiences and then we present it to the public at this event. And the idea is that we bring the headsets. There's usually a conversation with a, a community leader or someone that's engaged in actually solving some of these issues on the ground. Mm -hmm. So we put the headsets on folks and these experiences, um, they're designed in a way that there's you're transported to this virtual room and we try to make this uh, very appropriate for the location. So I live in Santa Cruz, California, we're kind of a funky beach town uh, here. So when you go to the Santa Cruz experience, you're in this very colorful uh, beach house with surfboards uh, kind of hanging. So we try to bring that cultural uh, sense of place too for folks that live there. So they feel kind of, oh yeah, this is Santa Cruz. I know what I'm, I'm looking at. And then we have these views that we include in VR. One option is 3D models. I, I, I love, you know, um, drones, photo, photogrammetry, and we can talk a little bit about the, the process of creating these things. But you see in front of you a desk with a 3D model of a coastal location that folks are familiar with. And then you can interact with it and raise sea levels. You can activate coastal erosion lines to see where the, the projected shoreline is going to be in the future. You can also click and see some potential solutions. So maybe we can build a seawall to protect some of the properties. But that kind of has some drawbacks where eventually as sea levels rise, you end up losing the beach or you can add more sand and sand dunes. So we, we always try to incorporate some of the solutions so uh, folks can discuss them and, and look forward to you know what, what's to come. And then we as after they go through the experience, we, we stay uh, at the events, we have conversations with them, and, and that usually leads to more meetings and discussions going forward. So. Got it. Okay, cool. So then wait, a lot of this is awareness and act of doing the thing around the local activities of the group. So if there's a Santa Cruz, there's, there's things around the water and the beach side. So you do a lot of communications around there. And then you're then partnering with like the local groups to like, how do you understand where the needs and how do you how do you really understand the solutions that are available? So yeah, that's something that we take great care on is uh, uh, to not come up with some like wild fantasy of something that cannot be implemented. So we really try hard to base all our experiences on, on science. So we mm -hmm. look at the climate climate models, downscaled predictions of sea level rise that takes into account how the land is moving to. So every place is a little different, but mm -hmm. also the local context, right? One of the things that we learn uh, on our second experience, and then it's been the same, it's like every location is very different. So this local context is really, really important because, uh, you know, not every city is in, uh, facing the same impact. So Santa Cruz, we, we see some of the impacts, but we're not getting flooded every day, like some places on the East Coast mm. where there's high tide or there's like a... a what's called nuisance flooding, which is like just at high tide every other week or something, you, you, you get some parts of the city that are flooded. So we try to base the hazards and the flood projections on science. Mm. And also it's the same with the solutions. So there are places when if you have a, a cliff that uh, on, on the water, you can add a sand dune to that. That wouldn't make sense because it, it just that habitat doesn't allow for that. So we try to look at what specific things the cities are planning for. 
And in some cases, when the cities don't have that uh, already identified, we look at similar locations as examples of what could be done. Mm. But one of the things that we're just stepping into now is that every decision we make with climate change has a trade-off. You can't win on all fronts. So if you do one thing, something's got to give on the other end. So we're, we're trying now to communicate what those trade-offs are uh, in better ways and also dealing with the uncertainty related to climate, which sometimes gets used to, oh, we don't know what's going to happen. We, we know where things are going. The trends are very clear. But we don't know that, you know, in March of 2047 at 10 a.m., the sea level is going to be at this elevation. Right? We know it's going to be higher than today by an amount. So we try to include all of that into how we write the script and, and deliver these experiences as well. Mm, got it. So then a couple of things. When you're looking at you're, you're writing the script, you're saying, OK, there's, there's trade-offs. There's always going to be some sort of trade-offs that happen, mm -hmm. right? Can, can you, one, talk to me just a little bit of a, an example of what one of those trade-offs are? Yeah, absolutely. So I've I've worked on a couple of studies uh, in the last few years looking at uh, cost-benefit analysis of different adaptation mm -hmm. options. So there's some examples that we, we we can talk about. We did one project was uh, looking at the comparing building a seawall with adding more sand to the beach uh, periodically mm -hmm. as you know sea levels rise and the, the coast is eroding versus even relocating folks from, from the, the coastline eventually if when it gets too expensive and the flooding is too uh, uh, frequent to, to keep some of the houses at some locations, right? So the trade-offs there are, are going to be if you add more sand and you have sand dunes, you maintain that habitat, you maintain that wide beach, which has great uh, economic value, right? People come to places like Orange County and in and, and California here and other places to really enjoy the beach and that they stay at the hotels and they so that the economic benefit is great. Versus mm. if you put a seawall, you you end up uh, um, protecting the property that's behind that seawall. But with time, you know, as the tides come in and sea levels are rising, the way that the waves interact with that seawall, it means that there's some uh, sand is pushed offshore and then you end up losing that beach so when you do that and then you protect the property but you lose that recreational value uh, uh going back to the uh sand replenishment uh sometimes uh, the the issue there is that as sea levels rise you're going to have to make those projects more frequently mm -hmm. you know my uh my grad student advisor used to say his name is gary griggs a great geomorphologist that's an expert in this area said used to say if the sand is not staying on that beach uh, naturally, you know, why do you think that if you put it there, it's going to stay? So it's mm -hmm. not, so those natural processes kind of continue. And then finally, if you want to compare with maybe uh, relocating folks from, from the coast, it's a very controversial issue. I don't think we're even ready to talk about it that at the community level in many places yet, but we're hinting at that in some of our experiences too, with some surprising uh, findings here. And we can talk about but the idea there is if you move folks away from the, the coastline you have first you're changing that neighborhood sense of place you know a lot of these homes are multi-generation so the, the, the people grew up there their parents might have uh, grown up in, in these areas and then economically you end up losing your property taxes as well but then you don't have the costs of protecting the properties and doing the things so all those mm -hmm. things kind of come into play and uh, it's really hard to to, to get to a, a consensus, especially yeah. in places where that uh, the issue is not happening every single day, right? It's something mm -hmm. that we're planning for the future, because in some places we still have some time to plan. But um, since it takes time to implement these things, I think now is the time to really think about it. Mm. So, I mean, you're really looking from the community perspective. What is it? How does it impact the community? How does it impact the local people that are living there? And what is that? What is that shape like? Now, are you you're primarily focused on the 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 beach areas along along the sea there, or the the entire ocean itself, or where where are the the main areas do you focus on to have a, awareness and impact? Yeah, so this uh, uh, kind of endeavor started with sea level rise. It actually started, I was uh, going through grad school here in Santa Cruz, uh, studying ocean sciences. And we were, uh, we'll have this Friday meetings where, you know, we'll bring this very prominent uh, scientists were invited by the, our advisors and the professors to talk about their science. And we'll be sitting in the room every Friday and, and listening to them. And I'll, I, I went through a big case of imposter syndrome. I was like, well, I'm not smart to be here. I don't understand half of what this, this folks are saying. 
And unless you were in that specific field, folks were having a hard time really following uh, mm -hmm. what, what was being said. So during that kind of the studies, I thought, well, we, we need a better way to talk about the things and with all the, the climate change issues and really not getting traction in, in climate mitigation, reducing emissions and, and, and even adapting to some of the efforts. I thought, well, we need to do uh, better. And then I've always been a tech guy. So I was flying drones. I've been flying drones for, you know, I think almost 10 years now. And then I was out on the coast with a drone taking some photos. And then I had this thought like, well, it would be great to use this as a decision support tool, right? Can we use this great images, 3D models and bring it into this? So that was a long answer to say we started with sea level rise and we did mm -hmm. projects here in um, Santa Cruz, uh, Long Beach, mm -hmm. uh, Turner Station in Maryland near uh, Baltimore. We did another great project here in Elkhorn Slough that's near Mo between Monterey and Santa Cruz looking at sea level rise on impacts on Highway 1 mm -hmm. and really showing the idea that depending on how we adapt the highway, that will have an impact on, a, on ecosystems that are just behind the highway, right? As you drive up in California and coastal states, you see that there's a, a marsh on the one side and mm -hmm. there's some wetlands and there are all the things. So if you raise the highway to make it still viable with sea level rise, it impacts all those things. So we developed this experience with a, a department, uh, Caltrans here in California, and then some conservation organizations to really try to bring those topics together, right? How we do that. But then uh, the last couple of years we did, uh, we kind of migrated inland a little bit. We continue to do that, those projects. We have a, a three or four now uh, kind of in, in, in being worked, but we also expanded a little bit to look at wildfires. Uh -huh. So we developed a film, it's a 360 film about the campfire, the 2018 that devastated uh, paradise here in California. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we did a, a, a really cool uh, experience, like a 360 film about mm -hmm. urban heat yeah. in Cleveland. And now we're finishing up a project here with uh, the, land, the Santa Cruz Land Trust. Uh, looking at a uh, wildlife corridor under high under a highway so we did an experience that you can actually see the land being transformed the animals crossing so it's been kind of uh, uh, expanding to other issues as well and it's been uh, really interesting to work with different groups and try to address some of the same thing i think some of these these environmental issues sometimes feel overwhelming for individuals to be able to feel a part of they feel like oh my god that's so big i just gotta i'm just trying to survive i'm just trying to keep my own head above water and keep going. I mean, what are the, you know, tactical, practical things could people could do in order to have a positive impact, let's say on like on the oceans or mm -hmm. any of these areas that you're focused on? Yeah, that's something I keep in mind all the time, Dylan. even from my own kind of uh, sanity checks. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I keep thinking, because this is just, I, mean, I can't solve climate change. I can't solve, but there is a little bit that I can do, right? So I always think of this in terms of what's my sphere of influence right that's mm -hmm. the term that people use like what can i what people can i reach and what can i you know, maybe inspire one person here another one there i think that's what i can do and hope that that trickles down so i i part of that led for us to expand our team quite a bit it started with me as kind of the climate science guy and then a, a colleague my co-founder paulo uh, salvatore he's like the vr guru and then we're kind of, okay, can we do a, 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 can we build an app here and put something in VR that people can use? And then we kind of, okay, we, we can do this, but we need some help. So we reached out to the city of Santa Cruz. I was working on a project with them and they, they helped us kind of develop our first experience so they could use during their outreach process. And then during that process, we found, oh, we, we had a, one case of a, a lady on the East Coast that she put the headsets on and she had experienced uh, flooding in the past. And the image was so realistic to her that it, it triggered some some past trauma. And then we're like, oh, we, we spent a lot of time with her after that. But we thought, well, we need a psychologist in the team as well. So we, we brought someone that helps us with that. And then more recently, about a year ago, we brought a, a script writer, a film mm -hmm. director, someone with a documentary experience that helps us to really write up all those experiences. So we, we kind of add all that in. And... Uh, but I think our question was more about what folks can individually do, right? Not yeah. what we, but yeah, on that, one of the things we found through all these interactions with these folks and is, is what, what gets people to move, right? What gets, how do you get people engaged and how do you 
maintain them engaged with with the topic and, and some of the things are really tricky and with sea level rise what we found is that having the the virtual reality experience uh, really enhanced that uh, engagement levels with the, the project so we've been into i've been in sea level rise planning meetings before where we had two big 2d maps like those google images with blue areas and uh, showing the flooding and people come in and look and then leave and that was it now when we bring in the headsets and they actually get to experience what that could look like in the future they stay longer in the events they get more engaged that at the moment all our events end up running late we get more attention more people want to see it because as you know vr is still novel enough to most people that they see the headset oh what is that i want to line up i want to see that so we attract a different crowd as well and, and what we try to do is that during the projects is to bring people into an existing process whenever possible so if the city is running like workshops or hearing sessions and things we point people to that and one of the things we're finding is that having those interactions and making them frequent enough that people feel that they're, they're making a little difference even if it's just i'm learning a little bit i'm talking to a friend and that little uh, positive reinforcement, I think, that seeing that little result of that small action is helping to keep people coming back and, and staying engaged. But also, this is something very new for us, um, Dylan. We're uh, fundraising to do some research, and we have a great partnership with the, with the team at Stanford, the Virtual Human Interaction Lab. And we are we have about three or four grad stu graduate students at the moment that are using some of these experiences to track exactly what you're saying. How can maybe VR help uh, to keep people engaged with, with these issues? But in general, what I'd say is like, that's what I applied for myself. Is if you find something that you're passionate about, that you like to do, that you enjoy doing it, and, and connect that through that work, tied to climate, try to maybe a conservation issue that, that you care about. And that could be anything, right? It could be writing, could be art, could be psychology, whatever it is. So if you just apply that stuff that you like to those uh, topics, I think that will keep people more engaged. But it's a it's a tough question, right? If we if we knew that, I think we'll be in a better spot, mm -hmm. I think, more on the... Well, and that's what's really overwhelming, right? It's overwhelming yeah, to yeah. say, okay, you're gonna try to save the entire ocean. And you know, you do feel like a drop in the ocean when you go and stare at it. So like, you know, what is it that people can do? I mean, what you're talking about is you find what are the local initiatives of the the community, and then you, you direct them towards that. So there's Santa Cruz, that's, Santa Cruz. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we do that. And, and um, yeah, that's one one of the main ways that we've been doing it's really through our experiences and, and the events and, and and also sometimes we find that that builds community as well when people start talking about that issue so having someone that they trust mm -hmm. kind of on board with them i think it's a big part of it i think that's mm. one of the there's a lot of uh scientists that are creating this uh communities right of just to 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 be to connect with one another mm -hmm. and kind of share their uh experiences or you know right having a rough day it's like this is uh, i'm feeling this way how do you you know mm -hmm. kind of name that own it and then kind of move on mm -hmm. from that space right yeah yeah i mean are you building communities with you know what you're what you have as an uh, a solution or is it something that you're facilitating community connections based upon the location so what i mean by that is like do you have a virtual planet community and if so what do they do and where do they hang out or is a uh, virtual planet a uh someone that actually you create these experiences and then you just connect them to the local communities we're doing the latter so we're at the moment just you know we create and then we connect with them mm -hmm. and then we, we stay engaged uh to mm -hmm. some like i just you know talk to, to the colleagues in santa cruz mm -hmm. which we did the experience i think was gosh i think nearly two years ago and it was on the news last week so we're like oh let's you know reconnect here we are starting to create a small community of the graduate students that are interested in using vr Mm -hmm. and doing research about virtual reality and environmental literacy climate change sea level rise and those issues mm -hmm. because it's uh, there are not many of us doing that kind of research so it's great to connect we just had our first meeting uh of maybe a week or so ago there were like six of us so we're looking at expanding that i think it would be great so you're pulling on uh, research grads that have primary interest in, you know, both this immersive technology and helping save the planet. How do people find out about that? How do people get engaged in something like that? So there are different ways. The folks that we're working with, uh, there's a, a student from um, uh, University of Delaware. Uh, she just, 
I, I don't even know how she found us. I think it was online. And then she just emailed me and said, hey, this is great. I'm, I'm thinking of incorporating this into my research. Can we chat? So we just talked and then talked to her advisor. And then they you know, had a little bit of funding that we could use to create a, a mini like a, a version of our experiences specifically tailored to their study. So we're working on that. Mm -hmm. uh, there was another student here from San Jose State near us that uh, saw the experience. I think it was at the we had it at a, a local public library for about ten weeks, which was really cool. More than I think four hundred people tried that experience. They just checked out the headsets and, mm -hmm. and went through it. So I think he found out about that, and then he worked with his advisor, and they just came up with a research question that would they didn't have the budget to create a specific tool they just use ours and then he's uh, writing up now his findings looking at uh the impacts of that vr experience on the latinx community at a neighborhood here which is like the uh, low income mostly spanish speaking and it's the most vulnerable uh, coastal location in the whole county here in santa cruz too so there are different ways that people reach out and um uh, when you say most vulnerable, are you talking, uh, is the Latin community the most vulnerable or is it the beaches of Santa Cruz that's the most vulnerable? Can you explain So that? that's where all of that overlaps. And that's one of the things that this work I'm very passionate about is that it's very multidisciplinary. So the first project I did with the city of Santa Cruz, we were looking at the climate adaptation plan. So looking well, what areas are going to get get flooded, what erosion, you know, which coastal areas are suffering the most erosion and, and all of that. And then we were chatting, it's like, well, there's also the human side of this, right? So mm -hmm. you can see this whole area is flooded, but if no one lives there and there doesn't, maybe that's okay. Now you have this little area here that could get flooded and, and it's a low income community, then we should probably focus on that first. Mm -hmm. So here in Santa Cruz, through that project, we found out that the most socially vulnerable um, neighborhood in in town in the county here and probably around the central coast too is also the most vulnerable to sea level rise and coastal flooding so that kind of compounds that issue of uh you know climate impacts mm. so, yeah. and then and then i don't know if it was touched on but we talked about how people find uh these types of communities that are interested in it is it do they google search it is it specifically do they reach out to you like when if, if someone's interested in using this high technology and they do it for mm -hmm. good are there are there online communities that they can be a part of or what does that look like that is still kind of emerging i, mm -hmm. I think we don't have one yet i think mm -hmm. a lot of the work is done people i'm mostly active on linkedin that's something because we're uh, kind of small still and we're, we're growing, but we still don't have the, the, the capacity to have something like that. Even like we don't have a, a, just to give an idea, we don't even have like a sales team yet. We're kind of looking into that and how can we expand and democratize, you know, the tools uh, to get more people even using. So we've been focusing on the last about six or seven months of redeveloping our backend uh, platform so we can develop a lot more of this projects uh, at the same time. So we're nearly to the point where we can say okay let's unleash this and see you know how, how many of this can we really take on but it's been uh so far it's been mostly word of mouth and someone sees the experience that they're interested in and they come in and say, oh can you do one for us mm -hmm. and we've been very fortunate that uh, that's been that kept us really busy for the last uh, couple of years but we're really thinking of okay we need to take this to the next level and there's no reason why, why maybe we should do 30 of this you know 40 not like seven or eight as we've mm. done so far got it. so right now you're building out some of the the back-end technology i.e you know being able to kind of cut and paste mm -hmm. more of these applications for more of these communities and just exactly. like you know, one community at a time you know spinning it from santa cruz to you know, laguna beach or you know down Absolutely. down the line okay yeah got yeah it. that's the goal got it. got it what's what's a fact or something that you think is underrepresented or people may not be aware of uh, that's currently going on with the issues with climate change and the oceans and that? Yeah, I, I think the whole, uh, and it's getting more talked about, thankfully, but still we have uh, ways to go, is the, the idea of equity and climate justice. I think it's something that's coming to the forefront. And it's something that we really want to uh, address more through some of these experiences. But this idea is when you look at uh, areas that are low income, they're typically also suffering more urban heat. 
than other areas because of lack of investment on parks and, and, and green spaces and, and things like that. So I think bringing attention to some of those, uh, how do we prioritize, I think, uh, what do we take care of and how we do that, I think it's an area that needs more attention to because we have limited resources too, right, to, to tackle these things. And, and that's, I think the climate is one crisis that we're dealing with. There are others uh, that competing, you know, for, for this mm -hmm. limited uh, resources. So how do we prioritize how we make decisions? And there was a, a, the latest uh, IPCC report, the International Panel on Climate Change, every, every five, six years they come up with their assessment, right? Uh, I think it was maybe two weeks ago they come up with uh, the five things we can do to keep emissions under you know, the levels we need so temperatures don't rise mm -hmm. above, you know, maybe three degrees or 2.7, I think was the number. They None of them talked about people and decision-making and policies to actually implement the solutions that we need. So we're... I think that piece is still missing and where we, we really need to, I mean, there are people doing this, but not nearly enough. Like, how do we make decisions about these issues in ways that will reduce future impacts? I think it's uh, what's what, really what are the five things that people can do? What, what was it? Do you oh, know? Do you think of them? I, I, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but no, I'm, I'm going to put you I, on the spot. I, I, I read them earlier today, but I'm drawing a blank here, but it, you know, I'll, 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 I'll come up with you can some. You on it. Maybe we get three out of five. Yeah, it's really reducing emissions, of course, right? Okay. And then, uh, but there's also a big thing from this report is that that's not going to be enough. We need technologies to sequester CO2 from back, kind of suck it back from the atmosphere to, to reduce that. I think there's uh, reduced deforestation and some other, yeah, I think those are the big ones. But the interesting thing about that is that we know what we need to do. We have the technology and we have, we know what needs to happen is just getting the, the political will to really get there that's been kind of tricky right mm, yeah so it's we understand what we need to do we just we just don't have the will to do it you know what do you think is the what would need to change or you know what's roadblocking us from actually taking that critical action yeah i think it, i think it comes down to to money in the end i think there's you know we we really need to decarbonize and the way we do is really important. We, we have to move away from burning fossil fuel like yesterday, but there's such a strong industry and, and lobbying uh, that, that goes on. It's really hard to, to do that. If you look at the subsidies that we have with oil, even though we have you know alternatives, it's, it's really hard to pass any leg legislation that really significantly reduces that in the time that we have. So I think mm -hmm. that is, to me, I think it's one of the big roadblocks. I did a, I worked on a research project a couple of years ago, looking at the impacts of plastic pollution on ocean and mm -hmm. looking at communities that are low income around the globe. And through that, we found out that it all also ties back to the um, oil industry in a way, because they're seeing the writing on the wall that the demand for oil for transportation and heating and other things because of climate change is reducing. But plastic production is going through the roof. So they're like, oh, let's use all that oil to make new, more plastic. So that it's kind of getting us to the other end on the climate as well, not to mention the, the pollution, that that's the, the issues of pollution and human health that are coming to light, other things. So I think mm. that to me is the biggest challenge. It's like, how do we really move away from that and let the renewable energies kind of technology and the solutions that we have already mapped really just flourish and, and be replicated everywhere. and Mm. Yeah, I heard uh, something about their, they did a study and they actually found that a lot of us have a bunch of microplastics floating around our blood. Yeah. And so, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, maybe that will motivate us from stop using plastics. If we won't do it for the ocean, maybe we'll do it for ourselves, you know. It's, uh, yeah, you know? that would be great. That would be great. But that was one of the things, one of the other things that we found in the report is that that's a, a the, the industry strategy of putting the burden on the consumer is really working because now we feel terrible that we don't recycle or we're not doing it right. Or maybe I should, someone gave me a straw. Oh my God, you know that. But really, I, I think the way to do it is by changing policies. If you write one policy saying no more, you know, plastic bags, that's going to, the impact of that is going to be way, way higher than anything we can do to change consumer behavior, I think, mm -hmm. especially if there's no alternative for things like that. And the other thing is uh, this idea of uh, enterprise research, uh, ERP. Oh, I'm drawing ERP? Uh, enterprise research papers? No, it's a responsibility, responsibility. 
Oh, good. It will come back to me. But okay. there's this idea that if uh, a, a, a you know soda company produces eight billion bottles of something in one year, and, and that just puts it out, and then it's someone else's problem, with like the the end uh, of what would happen with that bottle at the end of its life cycle. Mm -hmm. So the idea is to bring that responsibility to, to uh -huh. the producer. So uh, enterprise responsibility practice or something. Yeah, yeah. So that I think needs to be part of it too, right? If I mm -hmm. generate the trash here at my house and I throw it on the street, I get a fine, right? So it's so kind of uh, uh, similar to that. So bringing back that to more like uh, yeah. producer yeah, side. The, the challenge with that one is you're looking at the, the, the cop out for every major enterprise is like, I have a fiduciary responsibility to my shareholders. And so... You know, that's why yeah. I make plastics. That's why I do child child labor in another country. That's why I, you know, I, you know, I do this. And that's one of the biggest uh, things that seems to come up again and again is a fiduciary responsibility to the shareholders to increase the profit of the company. That's yeah. why I throw millions of dollars at lobbyists to make sure that plastic bags stay because I, I make petroleum. And I need to show yeah. that my stock prices go up. We have a need for this weird progress thing. So, I mean, yeah, what is... I mean, what is the answer to that? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I think that that's been the argument, but I think it's really short-sighted because yeah. if, if you know your your consumers won't be around because that whole area is going to be burning every summer or sea levels are rising and you're going to have climate refugees everywhere, then you're saying, yeah, you're you're kind of locking that fiduciary responsibility to the next, you know, three, four, five years, and that's not sustainable as we're seeing. So mm -hmm. if you think of that consumer and that sustainable business being around for another 100 years, you definitely have to account for those things. Mm -hmm. And the other part that I think it's uh, uh, missing and we're talking about it and it's getting better is really this idea of the what we call externalities, which is like when you produce coal, you burn, you know, some CO2 that goes into the atmosphere that has an impact and it has a cost to the planet, but that's not included in the accounting of the company that's producing that impact. So when you put CO2, it goes off, it's someone else's problem. When we have, uh, uh, like we have in California now, a cap and trade scheme on carbon emissions, just far from ideal, but it's a start that where now they have to, okay, I have a limit of how much I can, I have to pay for it. So now there's a cost associated with that that will impact their bottom line. So there is an incentive even from that standpoint to reduce their impact so their costs go down. And, and mm -hmm. renewables are, you know, we know they, they provide better jobs, better paying jobs. And I was really shocked to learn about the size of the coal industry in the U.S., how many jobs um, it, it, it had. I think it was about. I have no idea. It, it, it's about 60,000 workers, 60,000 people. Oh, it's, wow. It's, that's, it's, that's a very small amount. It's a very small amount, but they're really loud. And the love is so strong that if we could retrain those folks to install solar panels, it's a way better job than being on a coal mine, right? So it's like, yeah. that, that, they, probably, they probably have turned a lot of those practices into, you know, digitized um, facilities and things like that, that, yeah, you know, you know it's, it's like turning a farm that, you know, that you take so many farmers to plant an acre of land. Now you got one dude who's got a tractor and robots that, you know, clip the weeds that grow in the garden. So that's probably why it's down to such a small moment. It's, it's not the retraining those people. It's the, the people that run the coal businesses that then want Absolutely. to make sure that they can stay and stay employed they, or they yeah, want to yeah. keep their money engine rolling. Yeah, um, yeah. The jobs become kind of an excuse to, oh, we can't let you 60,000 jobs, man. Yeah. That's like, that's barely even, that's like a city in, in that's, LA, you yeah, know, yeah, it's, yeah. that's, that's nothing. What, um, let me ask you this in, in terms of like what you're, you've been creating, what have you seen that have some of the biggest impacts um, on some of the applications that you've seen? Do you have any specific stories that you can share about um, by using this technology and some of the impact that you've seen? Yeah, I have a couple. I think a lot of the the, the impacts are like personal, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the way we see people reacting to this. And uh, I'll start telling by, by my own impact, like how was, uh, I've been impacted to this. And, and, and you use VR as well. So, you know, um, a lot of people I speak, speak with uh, and when we talk about VR in, in, in meetings and things is like there's that visceral moment when you're doing something in VR where it kind of hits you in a way that you say oh now I get it I, mm -hmm. I understand now what the hype is all about and how this thing yeah. uh, really is different and to me uh, that came when we were doing the Turner Station project which was the idea it's a community park 
called Fleming Park. It's just outside of Baltimore on the Chesapeake Bay, very low lying area. Just to give you an idea, when it's windy, uh, when the winds pick up, the, the parts of the town end up flooding just from that kind of the little wind waves that come through. And there's some areas that don't even have like a storm drain because they're so flat and near the water that they wouldn't make any difference. So we were working on that project about two, two and a half years ago, looking at the park and what would happen and projecting up to six feet of sea level rise through the, through the years. And then I, I sent the, we used the NOAA's uh, sea level rise data. And then I sent the artist that works with a uh, shout out to Gianluca, his amazing digital artist. He was, I sent the image to him and then he's looking at Google like maps and then he's digitizing this 360 image to replicate the flooding, right? And then uh, he sent it back to me. I put it on my headset and I'm looking down and uh, taking it off comparing and everything looked good. And then I looked to the right and I forgot to tell him that there was a neighborhood in the area that wasn't part of our scope. So he ended up doing the flooding for the houses as well. And then I remember that feeling like I looked to the right, like, holy, like what? We're doing this whole project talking about this park, but there's like, you know, hundreds of houses here just next door that are being flooded. It's like, we're not talking about that. It's like, something is not right. So let's and we had a, a, a long conversation with the project, with the, with the community. And then we decided to maintain that image, even though the whole story was still about the park. Mm-hmm. But eventually our local uh, uh, partners there, just the Nature Conservancy, there's the Turner Station Conservation Teams, even the, the, the port in Baltimore, uh, they were all part of it. And then they were, uh, they were able to fundraise and get a significant amount of money to do a study now about the neighborhood. And mm-hmm. it wasn't just because of that image, but I think it really helped to see that because we built the case like, guys, you got to look into this area. So that to me was a, a big impact personally. And also I think to that community, because now the first trip I took after the pandemic or it's not over yet, but you know, recently the first time I left, you know, my town uh, for the last couple of years, it was to go to, back to the neighborhood to fly the drones and collect all the data looking at the neighborhood. So that was a, mm-hmm. a, a huge thing for me. And so I, you were able to actually see like the unintended consequence of the flooding of the, the park areas is actually a neighborhood attached. And then you realize, oh, crap, it's not just this park. It's yeah. all these people as well. And and that's a something that we have. But we don't recognize it until we're actually standing in the middle of it. And you just look and you you visually visually connect the dots. Absolutely. And having this realistic images, it mm-hmm. makes a huge difference. We, I can tell every project we go through this, I ask the city or the, the partners, what sele- what sea level rise scenarios are you using? And they send us the maps and the, the and then we digitize them. We make them, you know, render them in 3D and on 360. And then we send them the images. And it's like, oh, no, this is wrong. It's not this bad. I was like, it's the same thing. It's just looking at it from in a different way. But you, and you've been using this for the last 10 years on your planning. It's not like, you know, th- but this is what it means in reality. So and that creates the uh, I think enhances the sense of urgency. It's like, oh, we, we really got to get on this, which is great. And I think that's where the technology really plays, I think, a big role here, because mm-hmm. I, I like to say this is not about VR. It's not about tech. It's really uh, about that process on the ground about people making these decisions, the tech is kind of an aid, like it's it's a supporting uh, tool to this process. It's a, it's a critical one. And I think in some cases it's, it's really necessary, but without that other piece also, it, it's kind of hard to, to get anything going. I think some places when we show uh, Santa Cruz to someone that lives here, the, the, the reaction is way different than if I show this to someone that lives in, on the East Coast. Mm. When you have that sense of place, that local personal connection to the to the place, that 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 creates a whole different level of engagement and reaction. Got it. So, I mean, you're talking about the one the you actually they see the numbers as like, oh, this raises at five feet, but they don't understand that that five feet uh, actually goes and floods an entire house and you know yeah. has has you know catastrophic effects. That's one of the pieces. What I want to talk about, because you kind of stepped into it a little bit as you were just talking about just happenstance, is talk to me about what are the steps or the phases from you, you know, 
having people and creating partnerships with some of these these groups, these sustainable groups? What does it look like from being strangers to actually working together? Can you talk me through the different phases of that process? Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, uh, that's evolving every project. But I, I, and I think the the project we did in Long Beach is a great example where we were approached by you know our partners at the Nature Conservancy. It's like, well, we're we're engaged with this community. We're going to have this series of events where we're going to talk to the residents and we think showing them in VR some of the scenarios and some adaptation options will really be a good contribution to the project. Can you work with us? And that was, uh, I was like, sure, let's, uh, let's do it. And one of the things that we found through this project is having, it takes a long time to build that relationship, right? So if I show up to this event and I was like, well, this Brazilian guy that's doing VR, I have a kind of a, a funny accent sometimes. I was like, no one knows. Why, why should they listen to me, right? So uh, the way we try to do this is like, let's get a, a local trusted community leader or someone that they uh, already listen to. And then let, let that person be kind of the, the, the project's voice. And we're kind of in the background, kind of connecting the pieces and trying to provide the technical expertise to build uh, you know, the solution. We have templates and plans and, and all those things that we use. But usually we work with the with the community and someone that kind of plays that role of the in, in the tech world we used to call them like the super user someone that's really gonna kind of disseminate that technology through, throughout the organization so we kind of use the same concept to to the community events and then in long beach we got really lucky there's this great gentleman uh, jerry Schubel. he was the president of the aquarium of the pacific and he lives in the neighborhood that we're discussing. So he invited his friends and neighbors like, hey, come all over here. Let's have a conversation about this. And that process uh, was really well thought out where we had, I think, three first meetings. Was, there were hearing meetings where we just bring the residents and say, hey, what do you, is this something you're worried about? Do you understand the issue? And then bring someone maybe to present and talk about it. And then the VR kind of naturally uh, integrated into that process through some of the events. So that was a big finding, and I tried to replicate that uh, as much as I can. In uh, Turner Station, it was similar. Uh, we have a gentleman called uh, Larry Bannerman. He he was one of the leads uh, leaders at the conservation teams at, in, in Turner Station, and he really got into the project, and, and he got so excited about it that he ended up being the narrator of the experience. So when you put it on, you hear larry talking about the project and he went off bought a headset and he takes it out to his friends and he shows people he's really passionate about it and that has a much bigger impact than if i show up at an event or someone that's not in that community mm -hmm. here in santa cruz also we use a local uh, activist uh, for the spanish voiceover ernestina saldana so people know her so when they hear her voice it, it immediately is like okay it's ernestina so let's let's see what's it or let's hear what she's uh, gonna tell us about so I think having those uh, uh, connections, uh, and it takes time. Sometimes, you know, if they're not there, we we have to build that. And then uh, I find that the the projects are most successful when there is that strong local uh, presence. Because then, I think it adds. Um, uh, let's see if I can say that word: le legitimacy oh. to, to the project. They they become like champions, so they really. And we include some cultural, uh, uh, like in nuances in appropriate ways so i think it's uh, uh, important to, to think of those things as well got it okay so then so what you're talking about is, is that you not only need to find when it's a slow building relationship over time too you got to find some sort of thought leader champion dude yeah. woman person in that space that is going to you know spearhead it drive it tell all their friends about it and get incredibly excited about the yeah. whole process i want to just flip it back to the the long beach so the guy was the president of the aquarium yeah so, he, Pacific. so then he yeah. so then he's got that already that affinity for the ocean and being connected with all that mm -hmm. and then could kind of show this is what happens when sea level rises and everything okay so then in terms of that do you guys like establish like a result like okay we hope to get this with the community so you guys show it the community and then what happens when they get awareness and let's say there are a lot of motivations i just want to focus on one of these long beach you know one <laughs> specific thing what about the long beach what was the was there hoping to get something from that, a result, a response from the community? Yeah. 
And that's something that's uh, just starting to happen too. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of these projects that we worked on to date, I think the goal was to get the conversation started. And in Long Beach, we had a big goal, which was, you know, if you look at the Long Beach Peninsula, it's very low lying. It's like with under a foot of sea level rise, which is it could happen in the next, you know, 30 to 60 years. The half of the neighborhood is permanent inundated. Like it, it's and, and when we looked at yeah, another unintended kind of result is that when you look at the flooding in an animation, you can see if you're looking down, you can see the beach on the bottom of the screen, but then there's a, a bay on top and you can see the waters kind of come from the top down. So you see it flooding from behind the neighborhood and then which led us to think, well, if you build a seawall here, it's not going to make any difference because the water is going to go around and then you get it's going to get trapped by the seawall. So we have to to think of ways. But one of the goals of that experience was to first look at or the whole project, I should say, the experience was mm -hmm. part of it. But one of the goals of the project was to come up and learn about how to have this difficult conversations with residents in a way that we don't alienate them. We don't create, you know, like that they're still open to hear what's what the options are. And one of the options, like in the long run, it may not be possible to to keep these houses here because it's, it, it might be too expensive and, and it's it just going to cost too much money. I don't know. Can we afford or not? That's something that the neighborhood will have to decide. But just that let's talk about that as an option without creating a huge commotion, which is what typically end up ends up happening in, in some other places when that process is not well thought out. So mm -hmm. can we talk about long term impacts of some of these issues with the residents in a way that they stay engaged, they, they take some ownership of the process? And at that, we succeeded because everyone stayed through the whole series of, uh, of meetings. And that was one I was looking earlier today and I was really surprised. It's one of our most successful even VR apps. I think between the Oculus Go and the Quest, it's on the App Labs. What's the name of the app? Sorry? You said it's one of the most successful apps. What's the name yeah, of the app? Yeah, it's the, the Sea Level Rise Explorer Long Beach. It's on the App Labs store and also at the Oculus Go. And uh, I believe it's on the SideQuest store as well. I can send you links to that. Mm. But the, the Long Beach one between the Go and the Quest got over 4,000 uh, installs, which I was like, my, we didn't do like a massive com campaign or anything. We did a press release and so people were finding it and going through that. So I find that that's great. That's but awesome. the long term, oh, yeah. sorry. You're saying, no, go ahead and I'll, I'm going to say a thing after you, after you complete it. Okay. So you're saying the long term effects are what? So the the like what happens with folks that go through that after those initial conversations and those projects it, it's something that we're we're tackling next. So there's something that when we get engaged, when we get like in Santa Cruz, there were uh, after the the VR was at the public library and we had some launching events. After that, the city has a series of uh, in, engagement uh, events. And so they get invited to come to you know talk to the city, they provide feedback, they Give their opinion. Should we do uh, the Santa Cruz? Actually, has three survey questions built in into the the VR experience. So people say, "Hey, do you think that building a seawall uh, to protect the Santa Cruz boardwalk is a good idea or not?" So they're collecting some data as input for the long term planning, and the people they put put down their emails so they continue to get communications from the city. But we are not uh, actively tracking what happens after the the, the projects are gone yet we're improving the analytics a little bit but that it's and especially since we want to get a lot more of those things done i think it's really up to the each project and community to run with it and use it in the best way possible right to maintain that got it and with the you're talking about one set of the analytics and and the, the tracking and seeing what's going on i mean what what are the analytics that are important to you you're talking about capturing emails you talked about asking survey questions you know what are the analytics you hope to put in place so I think that uh, preferences towards some specific adaptation options, I think it's a really good uh, uh, thing to track. I think even the number of peop unique people that uh, can uh, that run through these experiences, I think it's very valuable. We, we can now track where kind of the cities that they're uh, uh, on, but not any more details. So there's all the privacy things that we need to worry about with that. Uh, we're uh, working on a, a really interesting proposal with uh, 
kind of an economics game simulation where you go through uh, 30 years, kind of like lifetime of a mortgage at a coastal town and you see your house there. And then it's like every year you make a decision. Do you want to buy flood insurance? Or now I'm going to maybe upgrade my car instead. And then you, you, you go through this kind of yearly budget planning and then you get your every year you see what could happen. And then in the end, people may, you know, well, I lost my house. I went bankrupt or, oh, I made good choices. And now I still have some some equity here. And on that one, we're going to track how different kind of economic incentives could change their decisions. Are they better off if we if you frame things in different ways? So trying to understand really human behavior through some of these experiences and trying to get to some of those things. I think mm. that would be really interesting to see as well. That's awesome. And you talked about before the start of the podcast, there was you want to get people um, aware, but you also want to get paid and, and engaged. You want them to, to really kind of do this type of stuff. If somebody had interest in this and they wanted to go and create their own thing or or have some sort of way that they can feel like they can have impact, you know, how would they get started in something like this? Yeah, I, I think one of the first a lot of people contact me anytime. You know, we can always we have a lot of free content that they could get started with and it's using and sharing and talking about it with with you know uh, their colleagues and friends and family but also you know and we talked a little bit about this earlier getting engaged with a local issue or something that they're passionate about i think that would be great and, and creating that community right if you find a friend or someone that's also interested in that and you go together chances are much higher that you're going to stay engaged and it's not going to be a bummer uh, it, try to make it fun in a way. I love drones. I like video games. So I'm, I, how can I connect, combine those things? And I like in, I like engaging with people uh, about these issues. But I also like to you know lock myself in the closet for three days to recharge after those things. So how can I uh, balance all this you know in a way that I'm not going to burn out in, in in another you know three four years? And so mm. try to find those little things that you enjoy and. And find something you're really passionate about. Don't like, I'm going to, you know, I, I really like art, but I'm going to quit my job and going to work on climate change. Like, don't, don't ever do that. Just use your skills and apply it to the issue that you're passionate about. And I think that's how we, we can get people to sustainably stay engaged with some of these things. <laughs> and it's funny that you're talking about a sustainability, but not only sustainability for the planet, but sustainability for the individual oh, that right. is trying to create a sustainable planet. So, yeah, we. I, I talk to, to students about it. I have a, a kind of a, I want to incorporate more, but I have like half a class when we talk about, it's about an hour we go through, what's your personal resilience plan? And it's an, an environmental policy program. So it's like, well, it's a tough career here you guys are choosing. So like, what's how are you going to stay sane through this? What, what do you like? And, you know, do things like go for a walk, meditate, exercise, eat, you know, eat healthy, whatever it is that keeps you going. Just make sure that you create a routine and maintain it in a way that mm -hmm. that's not easy, right? But it's, yeah, it's practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the resilience for yourself so you can make a more resilient planet. Uh, yeah. What do you, for yourself personally, what do you consider your, your superpower to be? Oh, my superpower. Mm -hmm. I, I, hmm. I don't know if it's a superpower or if it's like lucky or luck or a combination of both. But I've been very, with the last few years, I've been very fortunate to connect with, you know, a, a lot of really smart people on top of their game that are doing things that when we combine all the that amazing expertise, we're able to create something that's having an impact. So just creating that multidisciplinary team around an issue, I think it's been Fantastic, you know, having a cognitive psychologist, a script writer, digital artist, and, and all like folks that you know, mm -hmm. our team never worried about sea level rise, didn't know anything about climate change. There are a lot of young kids that are coming from video game design uh, colleges, right? So bringing them into this, and now they're all passionate about it, and they're well versed, and they're applying those amazing skills to some of these things. So I'd say kind of connecting with folks in, in a way that, uh, or finding these folks and, and engaging with them. I think it's been, uh, we wouldn't be nowhere near where we are without without that. So. Got it. So then what if it's like superpowers really, you know, building the team around the purpose and then getting that to move forward. And we're talking about the team, like this is all, this is all nonprofit stuff. Those, these people are doing this out of the, just the desire to see the impact. You guys are all kind of working on this. I want to say, 
part-time, but you're doing this out of passion, not actually out of, uh, it's not like a, like a business per se. So a lot of these people just, they're showing up because they, they, they believe in the project. That that's right. Yeah. And we, yeah. we never turn anyone away for lack of budget. That's another mm -hmm. thing that I'm proud of. I was like, well, if you have no, I mean, I'll come and talk to you. I'll give you all our apps for free. If you have a little bit, we'll maybe get someone to fly a drone and do one 360 image that you can show around and maybe, or if you have a bigger budget, we'll do a whole VR mobile web-based experience. We'll bring in, you know, animators. We did this one really great project. Uh, it's a class about marine protected areas for mid-schoolers here in California. Mm -hmm. And that we have a, a, an animated sea lion. Her name is Marina. And it's a 10-minute experience on the quest. They use their hands to, you know, find different species underwater. And it was amazing. And it's uh, tied to the curriculum here. So we could go from, hey, I have zero to I have all this. But like, we'll, we'll work with anyone. So I think that's been... Uh, but it is. I mean, we are a for-profit business, but you know, we we everything that we make extra, we kind of okay. Let's do a wildfire project now, pro bono, and just to make sure that because that's something that was important to us, and so we kind of went there and we have a sea level rise game that we're developing, and it's something. Um, I don't know if you, you you know a game called Unrailed. It's like a multiplayer. It's like four people play together and this train is coming and you got to mine resources and build the track. Otherwise, they're going to, you know, you die. So yeah. we, we kind of built something kind of with that that feeling where the sea is coming and you, you got to move sand to the, the front to protect the houses and then you put some rocks and eventually you got to build the, get the houses back. So we've been kind of uh, uh, finding creative ways and interesting ways to talk about these issues and uh, uh, in ways that, inspire people again to 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 do action without feeling like oh my god you know this is hopeless it's, it's not i mean there's things that we can do it's like there's the future is not set in stone right we so anything that we do is going to make it better in the end so no reason to to sit around and wait yeah yeah no i mean i got i gotta say on that note with that is you know yeah what advice would you, would you give to people because i know people get panicky oh god it's all all is all is lost. It seems to be either bury my head in the sand or freak out and and get overwhelmed by the cause of things. And you're talking about kind of sitting in that, that center area. I mean, what advice would you give, you know, around that topic? Yeah, I think I'll, I'll and it's not like you're always in any one of these states in like permanently, right? Mm -hmm. There are days where I'm like, I just want to bury my sand in the, my head on the sand. It's like, okay, this is it. I'm not, don't talk to me about this because it's going to be very depressing. And there are days like, oh, this is great. I'm super optimistic. We're, we can totally do that. So it's kind of navigating through those states. I think it's key. And through my uh, interactions with my psychologists and colleagues, and um, I'm learning to accept those feelings when they come, to sit with them and make, <laughs> okay, this is important. It's not. I'm not gonna kind of put like the you know pink glasses on and pretend it's not happening. So it's like it, it's part of it. But I go back to finding, you know, what you're passionate about already and then tying it up with that. So if you're worried about climate and you have some project that you're really passionate about, just make that more uh, climate friendly and, and, and try to look at alternatives to make it, uh, your impact kind of diminish that. And that you make you, you feel better about that. And, and I was reading about this, that if you do little actions, you know, it's like when you're playing games and a dopamine kind of uh, hit comes. Mm -hmm. That's the same thing. It's like if you do a little action, you, you you educate someone or you shared something with someone that you feel good about it and that makes you want to do more of it. So I think tapping mm -hmm. into that, I think it's, yeah. it's key. Right? Yeah, it sounds like a, a, a gamification piece. And yeah. with, all, with all the things that you're doing here, what's your holy grail? What's your hopes for the work that you do with Virtual Planet and everything? What's your flag in the sand thing, the big thing that you seek? So I, there are a couple of things. I think one is really um, democratizing the use of technology in climate communication, specifically immersive uh, solutions. And it doesn't have to, I mean, VR is great, but you know, it's, we don't have enough headsets out yet that everyone can experience this. So we always have an accompanying like 360 film. You can look through your phone or on the computer. So really get as many cities as possible to start using some of the things to help with their local policy decisions and climate uh, adaptation and that's where sea level rise wildfires or urban heat you know any other issues that you're you're working on so that's a, a one side on the other thing that i'm really interested and passionate about is research 
So we have a, 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 the partnership with the team at Stanford. We published a paper last year where it's kind of an overview on how we're using VR in, in the three C-level rise projects that we did at Turner Station, Long Beach, and Santa Cruz. So I am I'm really interested in, in figuring out the role of technology in communicating some of these issues in ways that reduces science politicization and polarization and, and, and some of the issues that we're facing. So one of my ideas is to find the most uh, conservative, uh, anti-climate uh, community in the country and build an experience for them. And maybe we don't mention climate change. We look at some past events. So how can we communicate some of these issues to some of some folks in a way that they will end up getting engaged and, 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 and mm. adapting and, and helping with the climate crisis. So advancing research on one end, but also getting more people uh, stoked and, and working with the, you know, VR and immersive tools on these issues and always looking for the solutions and, you know, what can we do to, mm. to implement these things? Guys, yeah, so yeah, the democratizing of the technology to help people change the hearts and minds, local communities, facilities, groups, uh, municipalities, and also yeah. if you could try to find some really anti-climate change people and be able to create something, convert some hearts and minds, a big win in that one um, as well. If that I is so. the if that's the overall uh, arching holy grails uh, per se, what's the big dragon? What's the thing that's the greatest challenge for you to face that you don't know if you're going to be able to overcome, or it's just going to be in general, the greatest challenge for you to overcome in order to make this thing possible? Yeah, I think I, I can do it. I, I really do. I think it's uh, uh, maybe time is a big challenge here because I, I love to do all these things together, but also we have to run the business. There are all the back, background things that need to happen, and we need to invest on that as well. Mm -hmm. So one of the challenges, I think, that I get so excited about the projects that I just don't want to work on the projects all the time, but then you get to kind of, okay, wait a minute, we got to, there's bills to be paid, there's taxes to be filed and all those things. So I think that uh, next step of growth that's is going to be, I think, really critical. It's coming. It's just that I get a little anxious at all. Oh, we should be there or not. But I'm trying to be mindful of my uh, my time, my availability and be kind to myself. And say, yeah, yeah, it will get there in time. So I learned a lot through the pandemic. It's like, well, we don't need to be hurrying all the time. There is a, there is an urgency here. but. If I go too fast, it's, whole, it's, like, it's not, again, sustainable. I hate to keep using that word, but it's, mm -hmm. you really have to create a solid foundation that's going to stick around so we can do all this off shit. So I think time and, and my own like kind of patience is, I think, are the <laughs> biggest challenges there. Okay. I understand. Yeah, that, as, a, as an entrepreneur, that makes a lot of sense. Late, yeah. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah, totally. yeah. So uh, th this has all been wonderful. And uh, thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything else you'd like to let people know about before you tell them how to get a hold of you? Uh, just a, a couple of like really cool projects we're, we're, we're working on. Uh, we're starting a, a, a large project in West Palm Beach in Florida. So I'm looking forward to that. So we're going to look at the impacts of sea level rise at a couple of the community parks there with the focus on equity and inclusion. So that's something interesting. We're about to launch a, excuse me, an experience here in Santa Cruz, which is uh, called Create Sa Creating Safe Passage, which is we're showing what an under uh, what a, a tunnel under the highway would look like for animals to safely cross from one side of the other. And there's like mountain lions, and so it's a, it's a really cool project. I'm excited about. And then um, Urban Heat, it's another one that's coming up for uh, Cleveland. When we looked at that, and that was a really uh, I just want to tell that story real quick, too, because it's something that uh, touched all of us in the project where we or our scriptwriter Gustavo wrote a, uh, a really interesting piece about the urban heat and air quality. And the way that he chose to tell the story is through a standpoint of a teenager that grew up in a neighborhood. And it's a teenager that has uh, uh, respiratory issues. He's got asthma. And we say, he says on the script, oh, I went to the emergency room many times. I can't ride my bike because it's too hot. So, and then we always try to work with local folks at the communities that we were, were developing this experience for. And then we came across this uh, teenager, um, Abdullah, that was the voiceover for, for us, is mm -hmm. a, an actor. And so when we met him the first time, he was reading the script and said, like, guys, this is my story. So it was something we we're almost all crying at the end. It's like, he was like, 
you know, I, I, I have asthma. I had no idea it was related to heat and, and, and because of air quality. And I've been to the emergency room. All my friends, I have like five of my six close friends all have this issue. Uh, the only thing you guys got wrong is that I don't ride a bike, I skateboard. But today I wanted to skateboard here to the studio at the library. And it's like, I couldn't because it, it is really, really hot. So I couldn't do it. So that was sounds like we, we wow. And you think it's like a rare thing, but it's not. It's so such a big issue in that neighborhood and in some areas of town that we're like, oh my God, this is so we hope that's gonna resonate with a lot of the locals and the city is working, Cleveland is working really hard to plant more trees. And so that is all tied up with their transportation plan. So it's a great synergy there, but just having that uh I don't know, I don't know what it was, but it was really uh interesting when we got that kid that was doing the, the voiceover of a kid that it was kind of the mirror thing that was really uh, uh, it's definitely gonna resonate with one kid for sure and it, generally if you get one you're gonna get more that's pretty funny and it's my right? switch to that bike for a skateboard that's pretty cool that's awesome yeah, yeah it was yeah. interesting and, yeah and juliana if, if people want to get a hold of you and find out more about your work what do they need to do to make that happen oh just email me uh juliana.caliu at gmail.com mm -hmm. or juliano at virtualplanet.tech or linkedin um, i'm always uh, happy to talk to people and and, and discuss and, and see what's happening near you know your community and we'll, we'll make something work <laughs> i think it's a it's it's a great discovery process too and it's uh and producing the things that it is a a, a fun project it, it's a tough issue to deal with but going through writing the script flying the drones getting the models creating the materials putting it all together getting the voice over uh, it, it's a really interesting thing to go through on the just a quick note on that on the highway 17 someone suggested it was a game or two in the team said well i really like cortana's voice can you find someone that sounds like her and we did so it was great <laughs> so that's awesome julia thank you so much for your time i appreciate you coming on the show have a uh, blessed and beautiful day my friend i'll see you on the other side sounds great see you on the Take other care. side i know thank you for listening to the heroes of reality podcast check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes while you're there you can also take the heroes quiz to find out what kind of hero you are or if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.